You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe a difficult place, or perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place. Pastor Richard will challenge and encourage you today with a Christmas season message of God's greatest gift, Emmanuel, the hope of the world, as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas all this month on Richard Ellis Talks. Now, a reminder that you can always listen to, download, and even share this or any talk with a friend right from the Advent calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. So let's jump right in with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Xmas. And I'm going to talk to you today about what happens when you take Christ out of Christmas and make it Xmas. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew, and there's a page probably before Matthew 1 that says New Testament. And we're going to do something very unusual today, and maybe a little against what you're used to, but I want you to grab New Testament, now go to Revelation, it's the last book in the New Testament, and go to Revelation 22, the last page, okay? Now I want you to take the Old Testament part right here in your left hand, and what we're going to do is we're going to rip all these pages out, Okay? Because if you take the Christ out of Christmas, you won't need any of these pages. Because none of that stuff happened. And we're still waiting for the Messiah to come. He hasn't come. And it's all just a fairy tale. Now, if you're going to leave it in there, you're going to claim to believe some very interesting things. And some of them, pretty much everything, is what you find in there. But if Jesus isn't who He said He was, and what He came to do didn't really happen then you're going to have to rip all this out of your Bible. You remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? I don't know of anybody on the planet, at least in America, who's never seen that one. But what happened to George Bailey after he tried to jump off the bridge? What did the angel do in that story? He showed George what would have happened if he had never been born. And you remember they went through that process, went back into town, all the things that happened or not happened, what a disaster it was because one man had not lived. Now let me just read through, I've made a short list here, and you could probably help me with a ton of other things, but let me read through you some of the things you're going to have to do if you tear that section out. Number one, if you're still seeking after God and Christ is not who He said He was, then you're going to have to convert to Judaism because that's the God of the Bible. So you're going to at least have the Old Testament. So you go looking for the God of the Bible, you're going to have to convert to Judaism, and some of you are going to have to have surgery. Luckily for you women, only the men would have to go through this procedure. But the men are going to have to be circumcised, because you can't be a Jew without being circumcised. So you're going to have to get some things taken care of before you can even get to the guy of the Bible. Secondly, if you screw up and there's some sin in your life, the amazing thing is, and I'm just going by the book here now, what happened when they claim that this God of the universe, Jesus, died, one of the things that is claimed in the New Testament, which again, we're trying to figure out if that's true or not, But one of the things they claim is that when he died, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. It isn't in a curtain, guys. It was like a wall of fabric. And it ripped from the top to the bottom, if you can believe this stuff, which exposed the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt on the planet, which meant if it's exposed, he's not there, so he's gone. So where the heck do we go to sacrifice all these animals to get our sins atoned for and forgiven? So you're walking around with these sins you've committed. You screw up you got nowhere to take a dove or a lamb or a bull or a wheat offering or a drink offering. You read in Leviticus all this stuff. you got nowhere to go with it. you got no temple to go to and make a sacrifice. you got no high priest 
once a year to go to and everybody confess their sins and he say, well, I'm going to take all these sins before God and get it confessed. You're walking around your sin. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no forgiveness apart from this blood sacrifice of the Old Testament. It also means that Jesus is a fake. Now, guys, this is a very elaborate thing you're going to have to come up with if you take Christ out of Christmas. Because somebody's going to have to explain to this whole city of Nazareth that they were right. That Mary and Joseph were fooling around. Or that Mary was fooling around on Joseph and got herself pregnant, and they found some obscure Old Testament passage over here and said, you know what, here's what we'll do. It's embarrassing to show up pregnant and not married, so what we're going to do is come up with a story, and I'll be the Virgin Mary. I'll tell them that I'm a virgin. You tell them that you had a dream. I'll tell them I had a dream. We'll concoct this story and tell them that this baby going to be born of us is God himself, and we weren't messing around, and it'll cover Okay, so we got Mary and Joseph collaborating here on this deal first. Now you got to get Elizabeth in on the deal, because supposedly when Mary walked into Elizabeth's house, the baby in her, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb when Mary walked in with supposedly God in her womb. So you're going to have to tell Elizabeth, you know, don't be telling that story or get her telling that story to shore up the position. And this goes on and on and on. You say, well, yeah, I think that's what happened. I'm telling you guys, there are people on the planet that don't believe any of this. And they say it's a concoction. But I'm telling you, if you go on with this, all this thing about the angels announcing some birth never happened. you got to tell these shepherds that they were smoking something that night when all that stuff they saw happened. They had been up too many hours. They had been, you know, cold night out there on the prairie and a little bit too much to drink. And let's tell everybody we saw angels. You're going to have to tell the wise men that their star meant nothing. They made a trip for nothing. But what was that about? Who'd they find? Why did they bring gold, frankincense, myrrh, these expensive gifts from so far away and dump them at the feet of some kid in a cradle in a stable? They're not going to leave valuable stuff like that in a stable. And he is certainly not the one who is spoken of. And if you want to turn to this, because we're not ripping this part out, Isaiah chapter 9. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. The reason they called him Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, is that the claim was he was Jesus the anointed one. He was Jesus the Messiah. He was Jesus the one that was promised would come and deliver his people. He was God in the flesh, supposedly. That's why they called him Jesus the Christ. But if you're going to just call him Jesus and pull the Christ part out, you got nobody. you got some man who is an absolute fake, and he is certainly not the one talked about in Isaiah 9 verse 6 where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now this is who they were prophesying would come. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called... Jesus was certainly not the one called Wonderful. He was not the great counselor. He was not the mighty God. He was not the everlasting Father. He was not the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and peace, not of his, there would be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Forget that. That's not him. He's just some guy. When you start tearing it apart and you start with the virgin birth and track it and say, he is not the Christ, we're going to pull Christ out of Christmas, you got nothing. And we may do Kwanzaa, we may do Hanukkah, we may do some other celebration, but you might as well forget this Christmas thing because there's nothing to celebrate. 
Now guys, let me tell you something. This is either some nice, sweet story, some fable we all like to believe, and isn't it wonderful, and let's talk about Jesus at Christmas and leave Him at Christmas and get on with our lives, and maybe Easter we'll talk about Him a little bit, but after that we'll get on with our lives. Guys, you got nobody dying on a cross. Thousands of people died on crosses 2,000 years ago. That's the most violent way the Romans would kill somebody. Thousands of them died. I don't need one of these guys dying on a cross who just was fooling around with some guy named Joseph and got pregnant and made up some story about being a virgin that she's got God in her belly and we're going to all believe this stuff. His whole life, wipe it out. All the claims, all the blind people who saw, they never saw. All the lame people who walked, they never walked. All the demon-possessed people who had demons cast out, they never left. It's this elaborate manufactured deal where a bunch of guys got in a room and said, let's start a new world religion and see what happens. And see if we can put the story together so tight, so convincing, get all these people to corroborate it, and we'll write it down even and get it written by a bunch of different people so that it looks like it's even shored up even more, and we'll convince the world and take the planet with this thing we've created. Now, they've been pretty successful if it's a hoax, right? Pretty successful. Now, I know we can't rely on everything that's in here because we might rip it out, but I want you to turn to something. Luke 7. And turn to Luke 7, verse 19. And I'm going to read you a few verses out of this. Even the people who believed the story, now let's take this tact. Even the people who believed the story and thought it had some merit, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and we're going to look at him specifically, even he had some questions. Now, you say, well, you shouldn't have questions. He had questions. Look at Luke 7, verse 19. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, now listen to what he said. You two guys go to Jesus and ask him this question. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John the Baptist, who was three months older than Jesus. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. John is the one that Isaiah prophesied about who would prepare the way for the Lord. He'd go before and tell everybody about the Messiah coming. This guy who has been out telling everybody Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, he's the one who had baptized Jesus, seen the dove come down to heaven, and a voice that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John has been arrested for doing the very thing he was born to do, probably... 30, early 30s, 30, 31, 32, he's in jail. He's about to be beheaded for speaking the truth and die, never having been married, some young guy in the prime of his life. And he starts having questions, and he sends these two disciples, and he says, go ask Jesus, are you the coming one, or do we wait for somebody else? Are you the Messiah? Now what happened? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that, now listen to this, guys, verse 21. And that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. These two guys had showed up, and while they were asking the question, Jesus was standing there healing people, blind people seeing. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And they go back and tell John. And if you keep reading there and some other passage in the Gospels, 
after they left to go tell John what they had seen and what Jesus had said, Jesus goes on this elaborate discourse about nobody ever being born to a woman like John. Nobody. And how blessed he was. Guys, God understands you're going to have questions. If John the Baptist has questions, you're going to have questions. And if you have questions, people who don't do God, don't do church, haven't grown up with this thing, are going to have questions. It's understandable, but at some point you're going to have to sit down with them and say, okay, I've had questions, you've got questions, let's track it. Let's figure out what to do about it. What are you going to do? You jerk Christ out of Christmas, let's make it Xmas and keep going. What do you got? What is this elaborate thing that's going to have to take place for that to be true? Turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read you a lengthy passage here just to give you some context. But if this thing is a concoction, even the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious rulers of that day who got Jesus killed, it wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. It was instigated by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who were supposedly representing God on the planet at that time, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the ones who tracked him down, wanted to kill him. So in Acts, this is after Jesus is dead, buried, raised from the dead, the apostles are out doing this stuff. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's a part of the temple in Jerusalem. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. They were highly respected of the people in Jerusalem. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now let me tell you something. When God's at work, lots of people are added to the church multitudes of men and women. When God starts to move in a miraculous way like He did in the Bible, don't be shocked if a little schoolhouse doesn't hold it. Don't be shocked if a majestic theater doesn't hold it. You're going to have to find somewhere to meet because people show up. People are hungry. They're thirsty. They're looking for answers. And when God starts to change people's minds and hearts and lives, they want to gather. They want to hear more. Verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets. Now listen to how powerful this was. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches along the road that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. They'd get sick people out there so that if Peter walked down the street and they couldn't get to him, at least his shadow would hit him and they'd be healed. That's powerful. You say that's goofy. Let me tell you something. The whole thing is goofy. Just rip it out. If you don't believe Peter walking by with a shadow is going to heal somebody, then what are you going to tell me you believe in somebody being raised from the dead and a virgin birth? It's all goofy. Rip it out. You either believe it or you don't. You can't pick a page either, by the way. Don't be picking page 412. There. Well, I think this is okay. I'll keep that and These are going. I don't like this page. This speaks to me directly. I don't believe that. I'd have changed my life over that page. This is not like some government cover-up where you take a black pen and just wipe out all the stuff you don't like and then turn the thing in. This is my Bible, and half of it's gone. Verse 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem. People driving in town, riding into town, start hearing about what's going on. People, they'll drive from anywhere if something's going on. Hungry people will walk for miles if they're hungry to eat, if they find out there's food. They come to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up. Now listen, they are hot in the religious circles. You know why? Because there ain't nothing happening with them. They're dead as a doornail. They could raise the dead. They can't even raise themselves. They're so dead. No power, nothing. All the power they got is whatever they've negotiated with the empire at the time to remain politically powerful. 
They're not seeing anything spiritual happen. Nobody's lives are changed. And Jesus in this New Testament, you might rip out, said they were like whitewashed tombstones, clean on the outside, but filthy, dead on the inside. They get hot, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They were hot and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison, had them arrested. For what? Healing sick people? Raising the dead? Blind people seeing? People tormented with evil spirits or lives screwed up, being changed. Look at verse 19. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Get back out there. This prison can't stop us. Get back out there. Verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together. They're going to have their powwow with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prisons shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, there wasn't anybody inside. They're gone. It was like we left it when we locked them up, but they're gone. They've escaped. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Oh, gosh, how are we going to explain they got out of our jail? So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to not teach in this name? We told you to stop teaching in this name. Guys, what did they care if they're out there teaching in Jesus' name, using Christ's name? He's nobody. He can't do anything, some name. What are you afraid of? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and guys, you better learn, if you're going to go by the book, you better apply this phrase, we ought to obey God rather than men. And sooner or later in your life, you're going to have to make that decision. I'm going to obey God, then do what everybody else says is right or what I should be doing. I'll obey God and not men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. They went ballistic. These guys, just imagine them just gritting their teeth, red, hot as blazes. They got furious and started talking among themselves, we're going to kill these people. They got so mad they wanted to kill these apostles. Now what is it if he is nobody, if this Jesus Christ guy is nobody, why has he got the whole world stirred up trying to kill people who identify with him? They killed him, now they're trying to kill his people. Verse 34, now this is very interesting. And this is where you may be or you may meet someone who's like this. Then one of the council stood up. He's like, this is out of control. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, which as a side here, there's a guy named Saul who became Paul in the Bible, who was trained under this guy, Gamaliel. And Paul's the one who was tracking Christians and having a murdered put into jail. He was a monster terrorist, religious terrorist. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside. Have them go out a minute. Let's talk about this. And he said to them, now listen, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. And he starts quoting fakes. Now look at this, verse 36. 
For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. Thutis claims to be somebody, 400 people follow him. He's got a mob. He dies. The whole thing goes away. Now, where's Jesus? They say he's dead. So Gamaliel says, all right, we got this Thutis guy. He stirs up some trouble. He dies. They go away. This Jesus is dead. These people are still tracking and doing his thing, but sooner or later, they'll go away. After this man, Judas of Galilee, verse 37, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. He had a bunch of people following him. He had some insurrection. They followed him, a mob of them. He died, and what happened? The whole thing fell apart. Now look at Gamaliel's wisdom. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, if this is some concocted plan, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Now let me ask you a question. Did it come to nothing? Then we have been duped and duped generation after generation. This thing has been passed on and you have believed the biggest pack of lies that's gone for 2,000 years. You've believed this stuff and here you are spending a nice Sunday morning where you could have slept in, read the paper at a Starbucks and you're sitting in some warm auditorium listening to me talk about some stuff that may not even be true unless it is. Verse 39, but if it is of God, if there's nothing to it, it'll go away. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. Now Gamaliel's saying, you know what? I don't know what's up with this deal, but we all know that whole room full of guys knew something had happened to Jesus. They had a guard, a Roman guard, seal that temple and watch it. And that Jesus guy was gone. How do you get past a Roman guard sealed tomb? They knew they had trouble, and Gamaliel said, if it's nothing, it'll go away. If it's something, you're going to find yourself, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gentlemen, we are supposed to represent God. We do not want to end up being found that we are fighting God. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, now ah, let's beat them just for the heck of it. Maybe that'll slow them down. These guys have been preaching, doing good stuff. They come in, they get beaten for doing the right thing. What's their response? They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Let me tell you something. If this story is true, and Jesus is the Christ, and you're going to leave the Christ in Christmas, nobody can stop you. Nobody. You tell me not to speak in the name of Jesus, you know what? That'll make me speak in his name even more. You tell me you're going to arrest me for doing it, I'll hit the street even harder. You know why? Because it's not just some story, and you're not ripping this out of my book. You are not going to take the Christ out of Christmas, because you do that, you got nothing. And I am still dead in my trespasses and sins. I have no joy. There's no joy without Jesus. There's no peace. There's no love. There's no forgiveness apart from some animal sacrifice. You got nothing. You got no hope to offer anybody. You can't just walk into your house or somewhere and pray a simple prayer and say, God, I just, I don't understand it, but I believe you love me. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I believe he came, he lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, died on a cross, shed his blood to pay for my sin, was buried and raised from the dead. God, I just believe all this stuff. And I don't want to die without you. I don't want to live without you. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm lost. I got no past. I got no future. Today's even screwed up. 
and I am throwing myself at your mercy, God. And I'm asking you because of what Jesus did for me and his shed blood that you would forgive me, wash me, make me clean. Give me a new life. Give me hope. Give me peace. Give me a future. Let me know you love me so I can love myself and love somebody else. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We hope you're encouraged by Pastor Richard's unique way of challenging us to become more like Jesus, especially during this holiday season. You know, that's the goal of this program and the goal of Richard himself, to be God's hands, feet, and voice, to help us grow in our faith journey and to become a reflection of Jesus to our neighbors, our community, and the world. You know, when you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So we'd love to hear from you, whether you've been on this faith road for a while or just getting started. The website is richardellistalks.com. There's a prayer wall to click on so you can share how we can come alongside you this holiday season. Also, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the Daily Talks Advent Calendar to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there at richardellistalks.com. And finally, a quick reminder that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website. Simply text the word Richard to 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word Richard to our toll-free number 855-6-RICHARD. So, until the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas, we love you, We're praying for you, and we thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.